We know it's the season for spooky things, but not much is scarier than running out of first aid supplies and basic chicken keeping items on the farm. Honey and Rue is a great way to discover new products and stay stocked up on some of the everyday things you'll need as a chicken keeper. Henny and Rue is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flocks. Each month, you'll receive products that may not be available at your local feed store to help build up your poultry first aid kit, try new treats and coop products to keep your flock healthy and happy. And there's always a fun gift for the humans, too. So go to honeyandrue.com and save 10% off your first box using code DRINKANDFARM. And as a subscriber, you can also visit the honeyandrue.com shop to purchase select items and save 10% off of everything. Henny and Rue, better chicken keeping delivered. Hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? So I realized I probably should have double-checked I knew how to pronounce this. <laughs> I believe it is Zocavesa by Ooh. Stone Brewing, and it is an imperial stout inspired by Mexican hot chocolate. Ooh. It's a stout brewed with chocolate, coffee, pasilla peppers, vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. So it's very topical. That yeah, no, <laughs> it's like a hint to our listeners if they don't get the podcast title or the episode title for this week. <laughs> right. So what are you drinking over there? So I have another hint. Um. <laughs> so today I am drinking a margarita, and mm. I used some skinny margarita mix, and I think the brand was like Mister and Mrs. T. It it's whatever's at Walmart. And it's the skinny one. And then I have Margaritaville Silver Tequila. So cheers to themed drinks, I guess. (laughs) And I shit you not, I just remembered that I forgot to make jalapeno pepper simple syrup from that recipe that you gave us all a few weeks back. So I'm super bummed at myself because now everything has frozen. So there's no more jalapenos. Next year. There's always next year. There is. I need to write it down so that I don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to help you uh, remember next year, but no promises. <laughs> and welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things, the minisode. Yeah. So as promised a few weeks ago, we're going to start diving into Netflix's documentary series called Rotten and last year we covered season one so this year we're going to cover season two and today we're going to talk about episode one which was titled The Avocado War. Yeah and I'm really excited to talk about this because being from Southern California I'm like super into avocados. Mm. See I didn't really eat avocados I think until I went to college because my family they were just pretty like plain eaters very meat and potatoes uh so i did not fall in love with avocados or guacamole until i was probably like 21 so that came right along with the alcohol 
<laughs> I mean, avocados and alcohol, they seem like th- that feels like that should be a song. Yeah, like avocados and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. margaritas and guac. <laughs> like, pff, that's the only thing I'm missing right now. That's what I should have made for dinner. Just big old bowl of guacamole. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so tempted right now. Send a text to Jared. I changed my mind on dinner. Guacamole. <laughs> Go to the store. Chop, chop. <laughs> and before we dig in, metaphorically and maybe even literally um we need to mention that today's patreon drink sponsor is natalie quist and her instagram handle is at cloud lover fiber is that right did i say that right that is right oh that was a lot of pressure to just like pull off the top of my head (laughs) but thanks to her we are enjoying our beverages today while we record this mini sode so cheers natalie cheers We should also mention before we get started, it's not a requirement that you have watched this episode. We're just going to kind of go through it and what our perspectives were and what our main takeaways were, um, because obviously everybody's going to watch it through a different lens. So my lens is obviously going to be different from Bev's. And if you're interested in chatting with us about what you did think, if you watched it, head on over to our Facebook group, We Drink and We Farm Things, and feel free to start a post there or search for a post that might already be started um, to join in on the discussion. Yeah, that's going to be good. So did you feel like the documentary like immediately set the stage for avocado to be like a really sexy fruit yes yes indeed so it made me instantly like crave guacamole kind of like i'm feeling again right now (laughs) and i mean watching it without guacamole kind of felt wrong but i also feel like if i had an avocado product in my hand that would also feel wrong if that makes sense (laughs) No, that makes perfect sense because I felt the exact same way. I mean, the documentary is filled with imagery of them digging into avocados like with a spoon Mm. constantly just like peppered throughout it. And every time they did that, I was like, oh, God, I really wish I haven't had an avocado. But (laughs) because avocados is on Rotten, I instantly feel guilty for feeling that way because I know I'm not supposed to because that's the whole point of why they made it into a Rotten documentary. (laughs) So it was like shame and then craving and then sad and then shame and then interesting. And (laughs) it was a roller coaster of emotions over here. (laughs) It was. And I want to know because like almost like right out of the gate, they called avocado a superfood. How did that make you feel, Bev? Because I know that's a trigger word for you. I was sitting in here watching it all by myself, and as soon as they said that, I was like, (laughs) As soon as they said it, I started laughing because I knew, I just knew you were going to get mad. (laughs) And I laughed to myself because no one was here to hear me, like, rage sigh. (laughs) So it was a wasted rage sigh because I basically just did it for myself. I might have heard you all the way here, though. Yeah, you probably did. (laughs) so another thing they also called avocados that kind of made me have a reaction to was they called them a financial powerhouse and they noted that it brings in 2.5 billion dollars a year yes that's billions with a b and they refer to avocados as green gold so if that doesn't inspire some kind of reaction out of you i don't know what would because that is that's a serious amount of money 
Yeah, it is. And I think one of the reasons why they use those terminology is because as soon as like, you know, like oil is black gold or even Mm. like really good soil is black gold. As soon as you use that like vernacular on the item, you're setting the stage for it to be something that's corruptible. Mm, That's a really good point. And something else that they pointed out too, and this is actually later in the episode, but I pulled it up into this section because I thought it was another way to set the tone of the documentary. They pointed out that 6% of a year's consumption of avocado is eating is eaten with chips during Super Bowl weekend. That is a lot of avocado consumption in probably like one day. (laughs) Right? Well, and those have all got to be avocados from not the United States because they right. would not be in season in February because that's when the Super Bowl usually is, right? Yeah, it's it's usually like one of the first weeks in February. So even in California, it's a little too cold. And we'll talk about like the, the tolerance of avocados in weather in a little bit. But that's a really good point. They would most likely come from one of the other places in the documentary like Mexico or Chile. Yep. And... They immediately started mentioning that the avocado industry sparked activities such as kidnappings, extortion, and murder. And one might kind of like cock their head to the side when they think that way, but you got to kind of go back up to that $2.5 billion a year. And it kind of helps, at least in my head, resolve itself of why avocados. It's not necessarily avocados fault. It's that, you know... (laughs) We're we're consuming avocados at such a rate that is generating generating so much revenue that it's causing that because people want money, not necessarily that avocados are just to blame. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, also like in Chile, they pointed out that avocados are so big that they're sucking the limited mm. resource that is water that yes. they have in Chile. So yeah. Yes, indeed. And that was just the intro, guys, which is exactly why I'm drinking a margarita today, because I felt like instead of guac, I needed a margarita by that point, because that was pretty heavy, like five minutes in. (laughs) Yeah, while I was watching it, I was like, damn, I could really use a drink right now, but I'm supposed to be paying attention to this so that I can actually (laughs) talk about it. So I will refrain. But when you drink, listener, you should have a beer in hand or a margarita or your poison of choice <laughs> or the water out of your tap that you're you can freely enjoy because avocados are probably not sucking your water drawer source dry unless you're living in chile then it probably totally is yeah so speaking of chile that's kind of where this episode starts off um that we're in petroca province petroca is that how you say it? I guys, I watched this a couple weeks ago, so I don't remember how to pronounce anything. Bev, do you remember? So pretty much everything that we say is gonna have our white girl accent <laughs> added to it. Yeah. Because and that's okay. Yeah, it is. It's totally okay. Like I'm sure it's something like Petruka or like there's no accents on it, or at least there aren't in our show notes, but that doesn't mean that they don't belong there. <laughs> that means Sam was lazy. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think I think people can figure out where that is with a quick Google search with that description. So as they're setting the scene in Chile, um, they're telling us all about how water is brought in by truck for washing, cooking and drinking. So until 2008, water used to come from a local spring or a canal. 
Um, and then central Chile started going through a drought, but that's not exactly what stole the water. And I wrote a note that said, blame it on the uh, uh, avocados because I was trying to be funny. Um, so they describe the avocado craze as a worldwide feeding frenzy. And then I got a little confused because we jumped over to California, but we'll be back to Chile. So don't worry, guys. But now we're in California because avocados thrive in California's weather. They like 72 degrees. They like humid weather. And they'll be severely damaged when temps drop down to 30 degrees, which is why we were saying like in February when there's a Super Bowl, most likely those avocados are coming from south of the border because California might be able to be okay with that kind of weather depending on like what region the uh, avocados are being grown. Um, The documentary said like around like 90 to 95 percent of avocados consumed are grown in California. And when we say consumed, that's consumed in the U.S., not in the world. Um, And I really appreciate that they like cut to uh, really digging into a bit of history of avocado because apparently the name was originally alligator pear. But farmers did not like that name. So they called the fruit avocado. And I kind of did like a double take because apparently the word avocado is derived from an Aztec word for testicle. And I'm like, is that really better? And is that real? So like I paused it and yep, I Googled it. And according to businessinsider.com, avocado does mean testicle. Um, When the Aztecs discovered the avocado in 500 BC, they named it a word that I'm not even going to try to say, which translates to testicle. And it like, it's likely because of the texture, shape, and size of the fruit, as well as the fact that they grow in pears. Which, if the Aztecs had testicles the size of, of avocados, I'd be really worried. <laughs> <laughs> well, so hold on for a second. We have to appreciate the fact that ancient Aztecs <laughs> had the same sense of humor we do. <laughs> <laughs> or that they were already making size jokes back in 500 BC. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, mom. We went there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, keep in mind, avocados have like different varieties and they're different shapes and sizes. Um, but all I think are grown in pairs. So like the Haas avocado is considered like the king of avocado due to the convenient size and durability in shipping. Um, so the, the overall view of the avocado in this documentary, they were like worshiping the Haas avocado. Um, and that's the one they kind of show us and refer to. And that's usually what I think I buy at the store. So it's relatable. Yeah, I think that that's what's available at like your local grocery store for the most part. Like mm-hmm. a specialty grocery store will have a bunch of different kinds. And if you buy them in like the bag, you know, like of five avocados at a time, those are almost mm-hmm. always Haas. Whereas like the bigger ones that you can buy like individually, those are usually a different variety. Man, that would be really sad if it was a bag of five and he just lost his buddy. Right? I feel like they should come in <laughs> pairs always. They really should. <laughs> 
Anyways, moving on from testicle jokes, um, they did continue to explain some more backstory of the avocados, and I thought this was really interesting and kind of timely with other things we've been talking about. But apparently, avocado growers paid for studies to be done that prove that avocados are healthy fats. Um, and they were making these really sexy commercials and marketing the shit out of avocados in the 70s, which propelled the revenue to be like quadrupled um, in the avocado industry. And I thought, I thought like, this is just another reason why it's always important to understand funding sources. Not that funding is a bad thing, but it's just kind of a good thing to be aware of, of who is asking for this research to be done and why. Not that it's not true that avocados aren't a good fat, but it definitely helped propel the industry in a way that had some serious consequences that I don't think anybody was thinking of at the time. Yeah, for sure. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's a line in Jurassic Park, so you're welcome. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I say it at work a lot, too. <laughs> Oh, but there they are in California, living it up, making money. And then the U.S. government, you know, was protecting these farmers and weren't letting avocados from Mexico in until NAFTA. Dun, dun, dun. I wasn't sure if there would be a reaction or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody had a reaction. Okay. It just wasn't you. You were drinking. Apparently it just wasn't me. Yeah, I was like mid-sip. I was like, oh, well, I can't make a noise now. (laughs) So if you need a mini refresher on NAFTA, according to CBP.gov, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, was established to create a free trade zone in North America. It was signed in 1992 by Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and took effect on January 1st, 1994. NAFTA immediately lifted tariffs on the majority of goods produced by the signatory nations. It also calls for gradual elimination over a 15-year period of most remaining barriers to cross-border investment into the movement of goods and services among the three countries. So no matter what your personal feelings are of NAFTA, it did play a role in the avocado story. So with this, there was a new surge of trade, which sounds good, but shit always rolls downhill somehow, right? So most avocado farmers were against NAFTA initially uh, because Mexico produces 10 to 15 times more avocados than the U.S., at least at that time. But by 2007, avocados could be imported easily. So the industry thought that they would get clobbered. But turns out Mexican avocados actually lifted the industry up because it's a seasonal fruit. So Mexico was able to fill the gaps. Consumers were happy. Monster supply kept the prices down, and avocado consumption doubled in 10 years. Booyah. That's pretty awesome. And I found this little bit extra interesting because there's this podcast I listen to. It's called Hidden Brain. I'll link to it in the show notes if anybody else wants to check it out. But I, before I watched this episode, I had literally just listened to an episode of Hidden Brain where they talked about how as humans, like our brains aren't very good at like making decisions based on projecting what we think is going to happen. Like when we're given two choices, 
our brains will kind of try to like project out both choices. And it turns out that they're just really not very good at that. So naturally farmers, you know, they were projecting out and they're like, Mexico is going to clobber us with this. Like there's no way we can keep up with production. So they're totally going to take over the market. But their brain didn't recognize that missing piece that avocados can come from Mexico year round. So that could become a boon to the industry and it did so i thought that was just like a little interesting tidbit because it's a good reminder to us not to like knee jerk every time something changes that we think isn't Mm going to go in our favor because it could totally turn out to be something like this right but let's keep in mind too that this documentary said most farmers were against it but that could have been a really biased or sweeping generalization too um, I'd be interested in maybe not being a half margarita deep and maybe digging into if people were really scared of it or not. Um, and, you know, NAFTA kind of sounds like a big old hero with the avocado movement until you realize how me- messy it actually is. So it, it fixed a potential problem of prices going up, um, the seasonal fruit part, but... We're going to start getting into some of that murdery stuff we mentioned, which all started happening right around that 2006, 2007 and beyond timeline of when it went like gangbusters. So it had a different effect than clobbering the farmers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it did clobber the farmers in a different way, which is a really bad, morbid joke that you guys will get shortly. Yeah, well, and it didn't have a detrimental effect on U.S. farmers. Well, we'll get we'll get back to that in a little <laughs> bit when we when you go on your little fishy rant. Right, my fish rant. <laughs> but it didn't it didn't have the the bad effect as like putting them out of business because of Mexico sending their their alligator pairs in. <laughs> right, their alligator testicles. Can we just yeah. call them that? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to go to, so we're going to use our white girl accents and say that we're going to Michoacan, or Michoacan, Mexico. Um, And this was actually the first Mexican state that could pass sanitation rules for importing avocados to the U.S., but it's also on the U.S. government's list of places you shouldn't visit because it's so violent. So um, probably don't want to take a family vacation there anytime soon, no matter how much you love avocados. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. So one out of five jobs are related to avocados and produces 1.6 million tons of avocados a year in this region, which is a pretty big number. (laughs) Yes. And with that number and... You know, a lot of profit coming in. That means that Mexican organized crime came back with a vengeance. Well, maybe not really came back, but started having a different MO for their crime. They diversified. <laughs> yes, they did. They saw an opportunity and they seized it. Yes. Um, Because it turns out that drug cartels were actually breaking down when NAFTA went through. So like a lot of the really bad drug crime from the 80s and early 90s was starting to dissipate a bit. And Mm -hmm. then they gained some additional steam once they recognized the opportunity that was available to them within the avocado industry. Right. So the documentary started off talking about the Gulf cartel 
And they were originally all about the drugs, bribing important people, but they would leave citizens alone. And then they also go start talking about this other cartel called Las Zetas, and they were real big into extortion and kidnapping. And they actually bribed people to get addresses of the most successful avocado farmers. So this was like a little splinter group from the Gulf Cartel that started to, as Bev said, diversify. Yeah, and what was really interesting about the Los Zetos is that they were actually originally part of the Mexican military. And they were able to be brought over to the cartels because they were promising them more money and better working conditions than the Mexican government could. Mm. Yeah. That one really, like, stuck out at me during the documentary. Yeah. But, yeah, 25 acres of avocado farm can gross $100,000 a year, which is a lot of money. Yes. And most farms turn out to actually be on the smaller side like this. And it goes into this guy's story. Um, He got kidnapped his first week of avocado farming. Um, And he was actually farming for someone else at the time. And he was kidnapped for nine days until the kidnappers got their ransom money. And um, that story was very moving. So make sure you take the time to really pay attention to that. I kind of had a hard time following it with the subtitles and trying to type that I had to like rewind it a couple of times. Um, but it was a really interesting story. Uh, and the Mexican president in 2006 decided he wanted to crack down on cartels. But those cartels just, as we mentioned, splintered into smaller cartels. So there's another cartel called La Familia Michoacana. Um, and they were like a nationalist revolt. Um, so they, we touched on that for a little bit in the documentary. And then they kind of jumped to 2009, where $150 million a year um, was reported that, like, that's how much the gangs were stealing. And farmers had to pay the gangs in order to keep working and stay alive. So it was like this really odd, vicious cycle that was happening. Yeah. And then a new gang came to town called the Knights of Templar, which just feels very like Illuminati to me. It, I don't and know. It's not very original, guys. Like, come on. <sighs> and they were busy extorting money because they wanted to control the market. They were burning warehouses and trucks. They were setting quotas for farmers. And they were called the OPEC of avocados. Yeah, so I had to Google, like, I know in theory what OPEC means, but I kind of had to, like, look it up, and uh, thank you, Wikipedia, for reminding me that it stands for the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and it's an intergovernmental organization of 14 nations founded on 14, or September 14th, 1960 in Baghdad um, by the first five members, and then headquartered in 1965 in Vienna, Austria. So basically, they're, like, regulating the crap out of avocados but with a touch of crime in there as well (laughs) just a smidge just a smidge smidge just a just a little um and then we go to the year 2011 um and they're reporting 800 million dollars that the cartels um have been stealing um they started kidnapping family members of successful farmers And this one guy was talking about how he was kidnapped. They wanted 10 million pesos. um, And he said, you better leave your farm and never come back or we'll kill you. 
and he claims if he would have made a report, he would have been killed because the local police are Templars themselves. So he got 3 million pesos, promised some fruit from the land, and had to sell 8 hectares of land, which translates to about 19.76 acres. And he actually still owes 1.5 million pesos from what he borrowed. Which is insane. Yeah. But then we kind of got some, like, vigilante action happening. Um, This other group kind of showed up, um, and they're called auto-defensis, which means self-protection, because people got fed up. So they made barricades, and everyone searched and questioned, like, when they come in and out of the city. Um, But it's not really clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And it's basically a fortress now. Because auto defenses integrated with the state police. <laughs> and now they have official guns. <laughs> just like the police do. <laughs> so it's like a militia slash legit police department? <laughs> yeah. It's like Batman with guns, but Batman doesn't like guns. <laughs> so that's kind of where we leave Mexico. Um, and then they start segueing into the water issue that we mentioned earlier. Um, and I couldn't believe this. I didn't know this, but it takes avocado trees about five to 13 years to mature. And it takes 18 gallons of water to produce a single avocado, just one of the pair. Which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. So I knew that avocados took that long, which is partially why I laughed every time I saw like those Pinterest things for like, grow your own avocado <laughs> tree out of the seed you get from the grocery store. I'm like, Pfft. You're never going to get an avocado out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Your kids will be in college by the time you get an avocado out of that. Don't bother. (laughs) I mean, and that 18 gallons of water, like a lot of that, I think, is supposed to come from rainfall, you Mm -hmm. know, like rivers and natural streams, some springs under the ground. Yeah, it's not like they're taking 18 gallons of water out of the tap. Right. What they are doing is creating rainwater collection systems. And now we're back to Chile. That was a quick jump. Yes. Again, we're jumping. Um. (laughs) But I really liked this part of the story because this is the part with Zoila, the old lady Mm -hmm. from Chile. And she talked about like she kind of walked us through like when water was privatized in Chile in 1981 And there was that other activist that was up on the screen, too, that kept talking and she'd like kind of pop in as well to give us like some of the real numbers while Zoila was giving us her story. Mm -hmm. And she said that the reason why they privatized water in Chile was because they were trying to make it more efficient, but there was no oversight from the government. So basically, like wealthy people got to snap it all up real fast. I mean, a.k.a. greedy people. I mean, mm-hmm. all wealthy people aren't greedy people, but, you right. know. We don't like to do sweeping generalizations. <laughs> no, we don't whatsoever. But, like, water is, like, an, a natural resource that mm-hmm. should be available to everyone. So, like, privatizing it and snatching it all up, like, feels really greedy because, like, water is life. <laughs> right. Right. So 10 years before NAFTA lifted import restrictions on Mexico, the U.S. government actually allowed Chile to send limited imports of avocado. Um, And it's important to note that avocados are not native to Chile, but the geography is ideal and the fruit has remained disease-free in that area. Which is kind of a fun fact. If growers wanted more water, they had... Um, than they had access to, they would have to get sneaky in a way. 
A lot of shady underground channels were found, and this fueled avocado growth from 50,000 metric tons to 250,000 metric tons in only 10 years, which you gotta know, like, common sense just kind of tells me you know that that's going to be really hard on the natural resources like water and soil, but... You know, when you're seeing grain, like dollar dollar bills, y'all, I can imagine you kind of forget that piece. This totally reminds me of what happens like in the desert in Southern California and in Arizona and Nevada, like all of the giant sprawling uh, suburbs Mm -hmm. in areas where they don't have a lot of access to water. Like, this is kind of how those water issues start. Like, you know that it's really limited in that area, but you continue to put down houses and plant grass and mm-hmm. trees and things that require water, mm-hmm. but there's no real good plan to get the water there long term and keep it sustainable, I guess. Right. Exactly. It's like, again, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> <laughs> they just aren't very good at like, foreshadowing or forecasting i guess is a better word um just planning it sounds like they're <laughs> not looking in general. at the big picture and we're not water experts by any no, means but no but we do like to have common sense so, <laughs> so sometimes having that and and being outside of it like we're outside of that we're not the people that are making those plans they might have completely different reasons for what they're doing that we just aren't aware of in fact that's probably exactly what it is But from where I'm sitting, it just seems silly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like from where we're sitting, too, like it's really easy to be on the other side of something bad that's happened and be like, what the hell were you guys thinking? Idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, this wasn't going to work out well. (laughs) Right. Hindsight 2020. Yes. So as you can expect, the rivers dried up in Chile Um, Poor people don't have access to the water. Only the rich people do. And cut to Pedro. His water has dried up. So he started digging wells. And he showed one that was 14 meters deep. And he said in 20 days, it'll be dried up. And he cannot afford to keep digging for his water. And my heart really, like, hurt for this dude. Like, I got kind of teary because his land is dried up. He put so much love into his land. And since he's a small producer... His dreams just kind of died. And watching him snap those branches off of Mm. the dead trees, that was really hard because he's just like he's walking up to it and he's like, yeah, like this, this used to be an orchard. And now like this is what it is. And he's just like snapping all these branches off it. I'm like, oh, ow, that hurts. Stop. Stabbing us in the heart with the branches. (laughs) And then, you, you, you know, then they do this really nice juxtaposition of Enrique, who has four avocado ranches and over 1200 acres and he has a packing plant he doesn't have any water issues um and he mentions big guys by the small guys and that you know they they're planning on hills that have irrigation systems so they're not wasting water so it's just like i i don't like that they kind of made it feel like big is bad because big is sounds like it's kind of bad in chile But I hope people realize that big isn't bad everywhere and that some big production, like 
farms are doing things really the correct way and the ethical way. So I didn't like kind of that vibe, but I understood like what they were trying to do with the two different extremes. Yeah. And I was kind of glad that they showed us the two different extremes because it just showed that there was a possibility Mm -hmm. of being successful in Chile in this market. And I mean, it's totally possible, like maybe Pedro didn't plan very well and planted his trees in, you know, like a bad spot that didn't collect water very well. Whereas, you know, Enrique talked about planting on the hills where the water runs down every time they do get rain, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in a drought, so they don't get a ton of it. But when they do, you know, it runs down the hills, which is super helpful. So like there are a lot of moving parts that go Mm -hmm. into whether or not something becomes successful. And you can't hate on people just because they became successful right like that's for sure like unless you found out that he was like hiring cartels like (laughs) right exactly which then does not appear to be part of the story yeah yeah you're a bad dude okay yeah no (laughs) yeah there was no mention of that so he was just one of the people that was able to buy the water while it was still available is what it seems Mm -hmm. and he also was pretty uh that's what I'm looking for. He he planned really well where he mm-hmm. was putting his orchards at. So, you know. And now we're going to jump back to S- Southern California, <laughs> which also has water issues because they've been having under average rainfall, um, which has caused downturn in production. And remember, like California as a whole produces like 90 to 95 percent of the avocados consumed in the United States so if they're having water issues this isn't good for you and your avocado toast no it's not (laughs) so they had to shut off pumps from one source which they refer to as sweet water because of a fish conservation for a pinky sized fish and my immediate thought was Huh, I wonder if this is some of the fish that Bev cares about in her big kid job. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) We don't work in Central California, so it's not. Okay. But I was curious, like, when the way that he talked about it, like, so his story, like, it it really hurt my heart because he talked about how, like, his kids probably aren't going to get to uh inherit his farm and you know like continue the legacy that he and his dad has kind of built there because they have Mm -hmm. a really nice family farm story and it's been relatively successful but the way that he talked about this fish like it was just like a trash fish this is something that i run into at work (laughs) all the time angry fishermen who talk about how they take the fish that we invest money and time into and when they catch them on accident they just like throw them on the shore to die because they're useless is what they say so his attitude towards that like kind of reminded me of that so it kind of triggered me a little bit (laughs) but this fish is actually it's a really important fish it's called the delta smelt And it's endemic to the Sacramento-San Joaquin estuary, which is the part of the river where it meets the saltwater. So it's half saltwater, half freshwater, and that's where this fish thrives. And the fish goes upstream sort of like the salmon do during their spawning season, and they go up into the freshwater. And counting the fish that go upstream uh, during the spawning season is how biologists used to determine like the overall health of this river and this area but they can't do that anymore because there are literally no more of this fish this fish Mm -hmm. is functionally extinct they found one 
the last time they did a study there. And they basically only survive in hatcheries and like planned breeding programs like at UC Davis and whatnot. But yeah, they're pretty much extinct out of there. So is Bev off her smelts soapbox now? <laughs> I am. I'm off my smelts soapbox, like partially because, and I think it's important to like talk about oh, how yeah. some of the things that we do like affect these native species. Because yes. like once they're gone, they're gone. And, you know, things like this are one of the reasons why farming can kind of get a bad rap for reducing biodiversity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that they don't appear to have any like functional purpose. Right. From the outside. But like that species is something that existed in the ecosystem. So they play a part, even if we don't understand what it is. Right. And I kind of like sit back and think of his perspective and basically like a pinky sized fish is ruining his life. So even if he does understand its function, it's still got to kind of (laughs) hurt. You know what I mean? It's not the pinky sized fish's fault that California is in a drought. There are a lot of reasons why California has issues with water, and it's not because of the fish. Right. It kind of goes back to him just not understanding the bigger... Well, I shouldn't assume he doesn't understand the bigger picture, but maybe he doesn't. And it does seem like this, I can't get the sweet water because of this stupid pinky sized fish when the, like you're talking about there's a broader issue. So because this dude couldn't use the quote-unquote sweet water, he's been using water from the Colorado River, which is too salty and not good for avocados. So he's kind of like screwed either way. And I think that's where like I got into kind of what you were saying, like he was crying. And yeah. it was like, you're crying, I'm not crying kind of situation <laughs> for me. Because I feel really bad for him too, for like all the reasons you already said. Yeah. And the Colorado River is also in crisis. Like that's the river that feeds Phoenix and uh, Las Vegas. And that's actually the river Mm. that I work in. So that's the one that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So when they mentioned Colorado River, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's where all my fish are. (laughs) You're like, I'm screwed too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like Lake Mead. That's where everybody gets their water from. And it's down. Like just Google Lake Mead if you're curious about it. It's at its lowest point it's ever been. And now Mm. they're fighting over who gets water mead (laughs) yeah right i know (laughs) great name so now that we all feel warm and fuzzy we'll kind of wrap this up basically mexican avocados are connected to violent crime kidnapping and extortion chili's avocados are connected to the rich controlling water and water sources drying up and the u.s avocados are sucking our water sources dry so pick your poison or maybe put the avocado down or not? I don't really know. Which, you know, they even said in the in the documentary, like, well, we can't really tell you to give up avocados because, like, sadly, giving up avocados isn't a great option because we would also destroy local economies in Mexico and Chile and California. California is the fifth largest economy in the world. So destroying the avocado industry there is not anything to, you know, like, turn your nose up at. It would be huge. Right, it's kind of like ties back to maybe just stop eating meat. Yeah, no, it just doesn't work that way. (laughs) No, no. But basically, this was all very depressing, and I'm glad I drank margarita because there was tequila in there because it was pretty depressing, and I kind of felt like I forgot how those um, 
episodes just kind of fire you up and then there's like no resolution (laughs) right I want an answer like tell me to do something even if I don't want to do what you tell me to do like is there an answer sadly not in this case okay (laughs) we want a takeaway give me a hashtag god damn it yeah no no hashtag for you (laughs) but anyways I hope well, we hope you guys at least enjoyed this in some capacity. And we're excited to watch the new one. Or not the new one. The next one. The next one we'll watch is called Reign of Terroir. And it's about wine. So I'm very excited about that. And that should be coming out within a couple weeks as well. Yeah. And I mean, I really enjoyed still watching this documentary, even though it felt very dissatisfying you know by the end of it Mm -hmm. just because there wasn't an answer because I firmly believe that knowledge is power so at least having an idea of what sort of chaos this food is causing at least gives you you know like a a, a picture of what effect consumption has on -hmm. certain things I don't know exactly where I'm going with that but you get it (laughs) oh but also there's one thing that we forgot to mention They're actually talking about putting together a certification where they'll have like conflict-free avocados, but that hasn't gotten any traction yet. Oh. So sort of like coffee has that conflict-free, you know, like Mm -hmm. stamp on the coffee bag. They're talking about doing that with avocados. So like it would guarantee that these avocados were taken from a farm that didn't increase Chile's water crisis, didn't pay millions of dollars to the cartel, didn't cause fish to go extinct (laughs) if they don't pay millions of dollars to the cartel they're not going to be alive to sell their avocados it sounds like (laughs) unless they live in that region where there's like their own little militia and that's like a whole different thing which is probably where i imagine they'd start it because like california's avocados they're going to be conflict free i was mostly joking about the stealing water from the fish at the end (laughs) technically if it's draining from the water that might depend on who you're talking to oh that's a good point fair enough yeah, I mean, because every place that's in water crisis, like somebody is hurting. I read it about mm-hmm. it because I'm I lived in Phoenix for 14 years, so I still read all of their news. I grew up in Southern California, so I'm very familiar with the drought issues that they have in that area. None of this water discussion is new to me or surprising. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Go to our Facebook group. We drink and we farm things. Before we wrap up, we just want to remind you to make sure you rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcast. Um, If you don't have an Apple product, you can download iTunes to your laptop and um, leave a review that way because we'll take a review each week. We'll read it and at the end of the month, we'll put it into, put your names into a hat and draw that uh, one out and they'll get an exclusive coffee mug that is not in will never be in our shop so make sure you leave your instagram handle or some way for us to reach out to you if you do win um so you can take advantage of that so be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen because this helps more people like you find our podcast and do us a favor and share this in- this episode over on instagram and in your stories and tag tag at drink and farm and we'll just send you a promo code for just this episode and give you a percentage off in our drinkandfarm.com shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to all the articles we discussed and a survey to tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and our merch shops. Yeah. And until next time.
drink, farm, and, and give, give zero, zero clucks. clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm.